This podcast provides general information, not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized guidance. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to Psych Rounds. Today will be one of our final episodes on SNRIs. We will be talking about two medications today, Milnasopran, brand name Savella, and Levomonasopran, brand name Fetzima. As always, we are joined by the one and only Dr. Larry Wang and one and only Dr. Bradley Miller. Uh, today, we will be discussing these two medications. However, before we do, I do want to mention really quickly that with this episode, these are two new medications that are actually pretty expensive drugs that are still branded. And what that means for our listeners out there is that means that there's no generic available yet of these medications. So I just want to point out that we do not have any financial conflicts of interest on today's episode. I did, just out of curiosity, run a price check on GoodRx. And Savella and Fetsimo currently on GoodRx for a one-month supply are around $500. So definitely very expensive compared to other SNRIs that we talked about already, such as Pristique, which is around $30 for a month supply, or Effexor, which is around $10 for a month supply. So as you can see already, just keep in mind as we get into this episode that there is a significant cost difference with the medications that we are discussing today. So, jumping right into Milnasopran, brand name Savella, this was first FDA approved in 2009, but only for fibromyalgia, not for depression. So, this is actually kind of funny, and you might be thinking, why? Well, because Milnasopran is improved in many other countries for the treatment of depression but not for fibromyalgia. One of the other things to know about this medication, as with other SNRIs, is this noradrenergic to serotonergic ratio that we have discussed at length with this SNRI series. With Savella, it is as noradrenergic as it is serotonergic. So making it pretty unique, because if you were thinking about some of the other SNRIs we were discussing, such as Effexor, Pristique, etc., the ratios were a little bit different, but here we have a fairly equal ratio with Savella. Yeah, so I also want to mention briefly, so levomilnasopran, otherwise known as Fetzima, that is the levonatumor of milnasopran, so taking you back to those glorious days in organic chemistry. But it's the only SNRI that's more noradrenergic than serotonergic, and this is about two to one ratio favoring the noradrenergic action. It was approved in 2013 for depression. And I want to reiterate a past point we've made on the podcast in these SNRI episodes that this heuristic that the more noradrenergic ones are used for pain appears to hold up with milnasopran and levomilnasopran as well. So you probably don't see these medications too much. They're scarcely used largely because of the cost. They're several hundred dollars a month, just like what Dr. Hewitt was saying versus the relatively cheap cost of something like venlafaxine and duloxetine. Yeah, and Dr. Miller just mentioned that the more noradrenergic 
nor adrenergic ones are used for pain. Uh, I just wanted to add that the more serotonergic ones are typically preferred in treating things like OCD and PTSD. So the example would be something like venlafaxine, Effexor. Uh, so why don't we switch gears now and talk about dosing for these medications? Yeah, so Larry, I'll just briefly discuss both here for our listeners. So for Milnasopran, brand name Savella, there's actually a starter pack, um, and I checked today, and you can actually see it on their website. Uh, but you start with 12.5 milligrams a day for one day, then you increase to 12.5 milligrams BID for two days. Then you go to 25 milligrams BID for four days, then 50 milligrams BID at the ending of the starter pack. So this is basically kind of a fairly user-friendly titration to get you to a therapeutic dose. Now, I will say that for Savella, the maximum approved dose is 200 milligrams per day. This is a twice-a-day medication, so keep that in mind. Now, switching gears again, Livomilnasopran, brand name Fedzima. The starter pack on this, which they have available also, states to start at 20 milligrams a day for two days, then increase to 40 milligrams a day. The FDA maximum dose for Fetzema is 120 milligrams a day. And with this medication, it can be dosed once a day. So a difference there between Savella and Fetzema. Uh, now, Brad, Larry, is there anything else you guys would like to add with these medications? Yeah, so one thing to add as well is that these have, uh, much like what we discussed with duloxetine Cymbalta, off-label use in treating vasomotor symptoms of menopause. Another fun fact here is that milnasopran has a antagonist action at NMDA receptors, and this is a niche mechanism of action that this has that may also be implicated in its role in pain. But going into the pharmacokinetics of these, both have relatively minimal drug-drug interactions. So particularly milnasopran. Levomilnasopran, though, primarily goes through CYP3A4. So be wary of inhibitors or inducers at this enzyme, things like carbamazepine and those antibiotics like clarithromycin, erythromycin, among others. So uh, also Talking about adverse effects briefly, they have a lot of the same adverse effects as other SNRIs, things like blood pressure, heart rate, and these also have the increased risk of urinary retention. Yeah, so from my standpoint, I haven't really prescribed either of these personally, so I have minimal experience with them. Um, but because they're significantly more noradrenergic than venlafaxine, duloxetine, they seem to be pretty reasonable for patients with depression or anxiety and severe neuropathic pain. Um, how this might be clinically relevant is that compared to other antidepressants, even things like bupropion, levomilnasopren in particular might be more effective in patients with depression where fatigue is a primary feature. Yeah, and speaking of uh, bupropion, Larry, which is somewhat controversial um, in its association with anxiety, why do SNRIs help with anxiety because wouldn't increasing norepinephrine and some of these monoamines potentially worsen anxiety so this is actually a great question and a couple of months ago a third year medical student asked me the same question and at the time i wasn't really able to give him a great answer uh so 
what do you guys think about this? Yeah, so I know I gave you somewhat of a leading question there, Larry. Um, but one of the things I want to mention is, you know, looking at the FDA indications for SNRIs, um, several of them have already locked down approvals for the treatment of anxiety disorders. So which ones have done that? Well, some big ones have. We already discussed Cymbalta, sorry, Cymbalta, uh, which is the brand name for duloxetine. And that was able to lock down general anxiety disorder um, as one of the indications. Effexor XR is another SNRI that was also able to lock down an indication for treatment of general anxiety disorder as well. So how are these, uh, you know, uh, potentially stimulating medications, locking down these approvals for anxiety disorders? Well, the short answer is that they are effective at treating anxiety disorders, enough so that the FDA is comfortable with uh, giving them those indications. But I don't want to just, you know, explain it away and say, well, the FDA agrees with it, so it must work, right? When we think about pharmacology, a lot of times, sometimes we explain things in layman's terms and we tend to oversimplify things, right? Um, but as we see here, these medications have helped patients with anxiety, but the mechanism of action might not necessarily align with the results that we're seeing, right? So this kind of leads to that, that paradox, right? And I guess for our listeners, since I'm kind of rambling on here, if I gave you an example for something like uh, Larry, for example, like Larry, if I could give you a Xanax for anxiety, but then half an hour from now, you are very agitated, you're talkative, you have a lot of high energy in the studio, right? Most people wouldn't expect that to be a reaction, but this is actually a reaction we see with things like benzodiazepines. And we call it a paradoxical reaction, right? So sometimes our mechanisms of action don't always align with the treatment. And this is one of the problems we have with um, psychiatry. So is there anything you'd like to add, Brad or Larry? Well, there's actually a pretty good article on this topic that I was reading about. So this is a 2016 article, Montoya et al., uh, and they try to explain this noradrenergic paradox. So the short answer is we're not exactly sure, like you said, Dr. Hewitt, but looking at 52 RCTs, they did not see a worsening of anxiety relative placebo, at least in the longer term. Uh, like the bupropion episode, uh, however, so patients might have some worsening anxiety in the short term and feel a little bit jittery. The long answer to this question is a lot more complex. So number one, I think saying that a particular monoamine like norepinephrine worsening anxiety is a gross simplification and reductionistic reasoning. Um, so proposed theories start to get too complicated and I'm gonna try to you know, simplify them as much as I can. But essentially, some people think that when you take these medications, after a period of time, these SNRIs may actually downregulate adrenergic receptors, specifically in regions like the amygdala, which is involved in the fear circuit and a lot of anxiety disorders. Additionally, um, where the noradrenergic activity is increased matters. 
For example, something like atomoxetine, brand name Stratera, that is in similar to an RI, and it's been found to be effective for ADHD, as well as the stimulants, which also uh, increase the amount of norepinephrine in the brain. So increased norepinephrine activity in the frontal cortex in particular appears to be effective for things like concentration, attention, and improved executive function. Um, and this can actually improve things like anxiety as well. So kids who are appropriately treated for their ADHD also report improvements in mood symptoms like depression and anxiety. And the last thing I want to mention is SNRIs and antidepressants in general do a lot of other things besides increasing levels of monoamines. For example, it may be due to something like the increase in brain-derived neurotrophic factor, uh, BDNF, which improves things like synaptic plasticity. And this is one of the things we see that is disordered in things like depression and anxiety. Uh, so that's my ramble on this topic. Uh, Dr. Hewitt, Dr. Miller, do you have any other thoughts about this topic or SNRIs or any of the medications we talked about today? I also want to jump in here. You know, I'll take, you both know me, I'll take any opportunity to get on a philosophical soapbox. So I'll keep this brief. But um, I think that this last point is a great philosophical concept in psychiatry, but also medicine in general. At the end of the day, the brain is a black box. Mechanistic thinking is useful in the absence of, or as a supplement to, hard empirical data. You know, at the surface level, if you think about a beta blocker, if it's slowing the heart rate, why wouldn't it worsen CHF? Until you begin to see the data that it benefits it, and you can begin to formulate a more complex mechanism of why it actually works. And just so, thinking of psychiatric medication solely through mechanisms of action could lead us into fallacies and errors because things are so complex. So first and foremost, we have to look at the data. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Rounds. We hope you all have a great rest of the week and weekend. We will see you all next time. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, giving those closing thoughts, guys. So I think that will conclude our series on the SNRIs. Uh, and we're going to be moving to some of the newer antidepressants. So the next episode will be on Velazidone, brand name Vibrid.